God, surround us with your spirit. Help us to rest in you. Open us to the love and challenge and grace of your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Great speeches have a way of calling people to attention. The writers place their listeners in the context of history, noting for them where we have been in the past, and then they name the importance of the present moment and speak directly to us, calling us to claim the present and future before us. So, in 1939, King George VI began his now-famous Christmas radio address, the King's Speech, with these words. In this grave hour, perhaps the most fateful in history, I send to every household of my peoples, both at home and overseas, this message, spoken with the same depth of feeling for each one of you, as if I were able to cross your threshold and speak to you myself. A generation later in our own country, Dr. King gave his I Have a Dream speech. He began by looking back to the wisdom of the Emancipation Proclamation. He reminded people of a hope and intention for racial justice that had become lost. And then, transitioning to his most memorable words, he said, I say to you today, though, even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. Now, With those more familiar modern examples stirring inside of you, listen again to the words that begin one of the great speeches of the Bible, the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, reads like this. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son. The preacher is speaking to people who are part of a great tradition. They know that their ancestors took risks in the name of faith. They know past generations have endured trials and survived. So in this crisp opening line, the preacher wraps all of that history, all of those memories into one phrase. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets. And then, he turns to his people and says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us 
by a son. This is our story, he says. We are called to be part of that same story of faith you have been hearing about. You are part of something that is important, and the time is now. No one had spoken to that church with such a level of force and conviction in quite a long time, maybe not at any time in their lives. We don't know much about the people who heard this sermon for the first time. We don't know where they were living, who started their church, how they made their living. We know, these, we know those things about some books of the Bible, but not about Hebrews. Very little is known about this book's context. What we do know about is their struggles, for they are named in the body of the letter. According to chapter 10, this church was struggling with, di with diminished worship attendance. And in chapter 12, we are told that they were overcome with a sense of weakness and vulnerability. As author Tom Long has put it, there is an overall sense in this book that this church is exhausted. They are tired, he writes. Tired of serving the world, tired of worship, tired of Christian education, tired of being peculiar and whispered about in society, tired of the spiritual struggle, tired of trying to keep their prayer life going, tired even of Jesus. And as Long sums up their situation, he comments that in any and all of these ways, they are astonishingly contemporary. They are like so many of us and so many churches today. We live in this over-busy culture where so many needs demand our attention and our church is no exception. Like the Hebrews, the Presbyterian church we are a part of is experiencing a pattern of change and decline. At some point, it will come here to Knox. Year over year, we struggle, as all churches do, to raise money for our budget, to recruit enough Sunday school teachers and enough volunteers for our mission programs. All of this continues one year after the next, and that has always been the case, and it is the case even though we are a growing church. It can be exhausting. And I'm sure at times many of you have asked yourselves why questions about church. Why continue with church when so many other people get up on Sunday and do something else? Why be burdened by all of these volunteer obligations when spirituality should give you rest and renewal? Why come here if it just reminds you how much you don't know about the Bible or that you're not giving enough time to prayer? And if the good news about Jesus really is true, shouldn't there be easier answers to all of these questions? 
I suspect we ask many of the same questions Christians were asking long ago. The questions presented in the book of Hebrews are common. What is intriguing about this book is the answer. This preacher does not get involved in thinking about the latest strategies for church growth. He does not want to talk about group dynamics in the congregation or starting a capital campaign. This preacher wants to get back to what is most important. He wants to talk about Jesus. Perhaps ironically, confronted by a group of people who might be a little lukewarm or worn out by Christianity, this preacher doubles down. He wants to talk about who Jesus is and what in the world that is supposed to mean for us. That is his answer. This kind of preaching doesn't happen as often as it should, back then or today. Perhaps that's because growth strategies are easier to talk about than theology. Sometimes that easier road is taken on purpose. Plenty of us preachers make the mistake of thinking that our congregations are somehow allergic to serious theological thinking, asking real questions about God. So we try to make thinking about Jesus as easy as we can in the hope that you will like it and come back next week, when the reality is that we are just taking the truth and making it less inspiring. But not this preacher. This preacher from the book of Hebrews will not go down that road with his congregation. And his sermon is a warning to us not to go there either. In this book, real questions about God are going to be asked. Who is this man Jesus? What does he have to do with God? How do we come to know him, and if we do, what differences can we expect God to make in our lives? And once we come to realize just how near to us God has been all along, what are we going to do about it? No doubt about it. This kind of preaching has its risks. At the core of this preacher's thinking is the assumption that Jesus is special and that his uniqueness must be taken seriously. That may not sound surprising to many of you, but it is a hard idea. What does it look like to love your neighbors who are Muslim or Buddhist or agnostic if you really believe that Jesus is special? Moreover, what does it look like to love your Jewish neighbor? For the book of Hebrews claims that Jesus has superseded the prophets. Can those ideas be held together? 
Can you read this book and take Jesus seriously without being anti-Semitic? Many Christians in many times have used this book to support or excuse oppression. How is it going to shape our lives? Over the next several weeks, Hebrews is going to confront us with some difficult questions. They are questions worth asking. You will be challenged. But my hope and my hunch is that if this book makes you think hard about the essence of Jesus and his claim on your life, the challenge will be worth it. Hard questions are worth asking. We share at least some things with this ancient congregation, the Hebrews. The de demands of church life are many, and they come up again and again and again. Here at Knox, the Interfaith Hospitality Network is one of our needs that comes up again and again and again. It is so routine for many around here that we unhelpfully refer to it as IHN, meaningless alphabet soup, to people who are new around here. Interfaith Hospitality Network is a program through which we house homeless families and children here in our church for up to a week at a time. Dozens of volunteers are needed every time we do this. We are thankful that new people give it a try all the time, but it's not always an easy volunteer responsibility. And recruiting enough volunteers is often a challenge. Recently, one of our longtime volunteers, Carrie Duke, wrote a short story about this ministry, and it appeared in their newsletter. It presents some difficult questions. I'd like to read it to you. The baby waked me up with his cries about 4 a.m. Monday. After mom fed him, he went right back to sleep. I didn't. It wasn't because my sleep was interrupted in the middle of the night or the unfamiliar bed or the night sounds of the church. I've volunteered for years as an overnight host to the homeless families sent to Knox Presbyterian Church by the Interfaith Hospitality Network. The beds provided for the overnight hosts are comfortable, the pillows fluffy and the blankets warm, the sounds of air conditioning cycling on and off or wind or rain against the weathered window panes tend to lull me to sleep rather than keep me awake. It also wasn't because I'm unaware of the depth and scope of homelessness or of who the homeless really are. The families that arrived at Knox on Sunday could just as well have been the families Matt Desmond wrote about as the Milwaukee families he profiled in his Pulitzer Prize winning book, Evicted, Poverty and Profit in the American City. Four mothers. Ten children. Clear evidence that the homeless aren't just men standing with cardboard signs at expressway entrances. They are mothers with children. 
sometimes abandoned by men, sometimes victims of their own mistakes, often evicted from their homes and always living on the margins. Too little public housing, too high rent, too little income. Their incomes mirror the statistic Desmond points to to explain the perilous state in which the poor live. Most poor renting families spend over half their income on housing. One in four pays over 70% in rent and utilities. Could you do that? The ten children who spent the night at Knox personify another grim statistic. They are among the nearly 29,000 in Cincinnati whose families live below the federal poverty level. That's 44% of the kids in our city. How can we accept that? But as disturbing as the findings and statistics are, It wasn't that number that kept me up. It was the number eight. Eight weeks old. That's how old the baby was that waked me from my sleep. Eight weeks old and homeless. Eight weeks old and this week sleeping in a porta crib rather than his own bed. Eight weeks old and for this week at least, fast asleep on the third floor of Knox. Me, not so much. We are not always supposed to sleep soundly and rest easy when it comes to matters of our faith. We are not supposed to ask questions that have easy answers. Sometimes the regular routine of church gets tired and mundane. The endless requests for volunteers, for funding, for your presence, Sometimes you may wonder if it is all worth it or if you would be better off just doing something else on Sunday. You are needed here. You are needed here. The regular things we do here matter thinking about God together, educating our children, making beautiful music in a world where there is so much ugliness, living generously, giving a mother and her infant child a safe place to sleep at night. Do not lose heart. God planted a church here. Our ancestors gave us a rich tradition of ministry in this place. 
And in these days, God has spoken to us through a son.